0: You're listening to Brain Zone, where we're serious about being curious.
1: It's getting cold and blustery here in Minnesota.
0: In Los Angeles, it's sunny, but getting
1: a little colder. There's all sorts of weather happening all around the country and the world
0: right now. Snow, rain, clear skies, wind gusts, sticky, dry, hot, freezing. You name it, somewhere it's happening. It may
1: seem hard to keep track of it all, but scientists have it figured out. We're going to find out how
0: meteorologists predict the weather. And where wind comes from. Keep listening. You're listening
1: to Brains On from NPR News and Southern California Public Radio. I'm Molly Bloom. My co-host today is 12-year-old Ryan Cordova from Los Angeles. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Molly. So, Ryan, do you pay attention to weather forecasts or predictions?
0: Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I watch most of the day. You know, the news. And what is your favorite kind of weather? I'd say maybe the weather we're having right now in Southern California. Windy, a bit breezy, but sometimes sunny. Do
1: you think that the weather affects your mood?
0: No, not really. I'm pretty satisfied. So if it's rainy or cloudier, still a happy guy. Yeah. That's awesome. Exactly.
1: We're going to find out all about how meteorologists make their forecasts, but first we're going to talk about something that plays a huge part in determining what our weather is going to be like. The wind. Lots of you have written in with questions about the wind.
0: My name is Josh. My question is, where does wind come from? Hi, I am... Jude and my question is how does the wind blow? I've always been wondering where the wind comes from and I know that the wind's there because I feel it and I can see the leaves shaking. We called Deanna Hence to help us find an answer. She's an atmospheric scientist at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign.
2: Wind at its simplest is just moving air. Um, and it's kind of funny in that you know we think of Air as being this invisible, weightless thing that's around us all the time, but you know, really gases, which is what makes up our air, have mass and you feel that mass when the wind's, you know, hitting up against you, right? It's kinda of pushing you over.
1: So you may not be able to see the moving air, but the
0: gases that make up the air have mass. And you can feel that mass when the air is moving fast enough. Phew. But what makes the air move faster or slower?
1: Deanna says first you have to understand what air pressure is.
2: She explains it like this. Now You and your best friend, you line up back to back and you lean up against each other. Your back's pushing up against each other? That's pressure, force over an area. So if that pressure's equal, then you guys stay upright. But then, of course, if one of you pushes harder than the other, then that pressure would push over the person that's pushing less hard, right? So the person that's pushing harder would have the higher pressure, and then the person that's falling over would have the lower pressure, right? Wind kind of works the same way in a lot of ways.
1: Some areas of air
2: will have higher pressure, and others will have lower pressure. So all the wind is, is the air, the atmosphere, trying to balance these differences in pressure But why do
0: some pockets of air have more pressure than the others in the first place? Deanna says it has
1: a
2: lot to do with the temperature of the air. If you think like a hot air balloon, right, you heat up the air, the air starts to rise and fill the balloon.
0: So since that hot air is rising, it's not pressing down toward the earth. So there's not as much
1: pressure at the ground under that pocket of air. That's low pressure.
2: Cold air likes to sink, and if we let that cold air just sink and sink and sink, then the air pressure would get higher and higher and higher as air compresses in that area.
1: But like Deanna said, the atmosphere wants to balance these high and low pressure areas. So you
2: move the air from where it's piling up in the high pressure to the place where the air is leaving in the low pressure. And so that movement of that air, that large movement of air is what we know as the wind.
0: But like we mentioned, we need hot areas and cold areas for this to work. Where do these temperature differences come from? You can thank our good friend the sun for that. The sun
1: heats up the air, but not all places get the same amount of direct sunlight, so the earth
2: heats unevenly.
0: And why are some areas more windy than others?
2: One of the big reasons why is how you know, smooth or how rough the surface of that area is. Wind blows more easily when you have less things in the way, right? So say, for example, if you have a lot of trees, then the trees are going to disrupt the wind, and so the wind's not going to be able to get as fast. If you have mountains or terrain of some kind, the wind is going to behave, actually can behave quite differently when it's going over the mountains than if, if it's going over a flat area. You know, water's actually really great because typically water's, you know, pretty open and quite flat. But of course, as the wind picks up, then you start picking up waves, and actually those waves, kind of like the trees, can also disrupt the wind close to the ground. And the wind
0: can help
1: scientists tell what kind of weather is on the way.
0: So even though we can't see the wind, scientists have tools that help them measure it.
1: Wind vanes tell us what direction the wind is coming
2: from. So you might have seen those, like, on top of a barn or something, where sometimes they come in the shape of an animal like a rooster, and they're, you know, on top of the barn spinning with the wind. When we, as meteorologists, talk about the wind, we always talk about where it's coming from. The direction of the wind actually helps us know sometimes where these differences in pressure are happening.
0: They can also measure how fast it's moving
2: with an instrument
1: called an anemometer.
2: You've probably seen these where they might have a spinning cups or they might have a little propeller. When the air hits them it causes the propeller to spin or the cups to spin and so that's how we measure the wind speed. They can also use radar to see
1: how wind is moving within clouds.
0: That helps scientists track storms in real time.
1: But the radar doesn't work in clear air because it needs something for the radar beams to bounce off
2: of. We bounce the radar beam off of all the little particles in the cloud, which would be, you know, the raindrops, the snowflakes, you know, whatever is up in there. But you can use other things too, which is actually kind of cool too. So you can, if there's like a lot of dust in the air or if there's a lot of bugs or birds, it'll also work the same for those too, (laughs) which is kind of fun. This this is a cool thing. It's like I encourage anyone to do, if you go to the National Weather Service website, weather.gov, and you can look at the national picture of all the radars put together. If you look at either the first, like uh, right, right around sunrise or right around sunset, you'll see these big rings of green that will you know kind of be near the radar and then kind of spread out, and then there might be a, a big ring in the evening that kind of starts out big and then kind of comp- compresses down. That's actually... One thing that they've noticed is that that's actually birds, you know, taking off for the morning and coming back to roost at night. We meteorologists will partner with people who study birds or study um, bugs to track the migration patterns of these different animals. So even though we can't see the wind, scientists have
1: found
0: all sorts of ways to track it. Weather is complicated stuff. There are all sorts of things that can affect weather. Luckily... We don't have to figure it out all for ourselves. We can leave it to the professionals.
1: Like Fritz Coleman. He's a weather forecaster for KNBC-TV in Los Angeles, and he's here with us now. Hi, Fritz.
3: Hi, guys. How are you? Great.
0: Thank you for being here.
3: I'm honored to be here. This is a lot of fun. It's intimidating.
0: (laughs) So, Fritz, how do we know what the current weather is besides just looking out the window?
3: Well, looking out the window is always the fail-safe way. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of things that we can measure to know exactly what the weather is. There is a barometer that measures barometric pressure. There's the thermometer that measures temperature. There is an anemometer that measures wind speed and direction. There is a rain gauge. So we have all these various tools, plus tools that you can't see, like a satellite, that is 50,000 miles in what we call geosynchronous orbit over the Earth that takes pictures for us. So we have have a whole uh, arsenal of tools we can use to figure out what the weather is. But, you know, it's still an educated guess. There are people that don't call weather forecasting a science. They call it a technical art because... It's still such a variable, but we give it our best shot.
0: Forecasters often talk about warm fronts and cold fronts. What are those?
3: Okay, well, a cold front, if you think of the atmosphere again, and the whole job of weather forecasting is figuring out the relationship between cold, dry areas of air and warm, moist areas of air. And when a cold, dry area of air is moving and overtaking a warm, moist area of air, that line just at the leading edge of that area of cold, dry air is called a cold front. Now, if it was a warm, moist area of air that was overtaking a cold Dry area of air. What do you think they would call that
0: the warm front? Exactly So how far into the future can we predict the weather?
3: Well, they're getting pretty good uh, I mean we have lots of computer models that go way out for instance right now We're in the midst of predicting this El Nino season And so they, they can look sort of toward the end of winter in a general sense. That's not the most accurate forecasting um, we're probably 90% accurate up to 48 hours, and then it sort of drips off after that.
0: Um, We talked about this before, about the hot air rising. So if hot air rises, why is it hot at the ground and colder up high?
3: During the day, the sun heats the earth, right? And the earth absorbs some of the heat and reflects some of it back into the atmosphere. When this air, this warm air, rises up in the atmosphere, the farther away from the heat source it gets, that is the reflective ground, it cools, and when air cools, as you know, when a gas cools, it condenses. And when it does that in the atmosphere, the moisture in the atmosphere condenses into clouds, and if it keeps condensing at the upper elevations of the atmosphere, you get thunderstorms.
1: You'd mentioned El Nino, and that's a lot in the news right now. Can you just give us sort of a brief, you know, description of what El Nino is exactly?
3: El Nino, which means the child or the Christ child, is a phenomenon that was noticed back in the 1600s by Peruvian fishermen. And these Peruvian fishermen were noticing every seven to ten years, which tends to be the El Nino cycle that they were getting bountiful fishing. They called it El Nino because this tended to happen over the winter right around Christmas. El Nino is an abnormally warm area of water in the Pacific. And why that's important is the temperature of the ocean changes the weather above it. So this abnormally warm water, ocean water was changing the path of the jet stream, which is, think of the jet stream as the railroad tracks along which storms ride, changes the path of the jet stream and brings it into our area a little farther south. And if streams come into us a little farther south, that means they're warmer because they're closer to the equator. And if they're warmer, They have more water. That's why El Nino winters are very wet, at least for the southwestern United States. But in other parts of the United States, El Nino can mean abnormally dry months, abnormally cool months. So if you look at the United States, it affects each quarter of the United States in a slightly different way.
1: Thank you so much for being here today, Fritz. We really appreciate it.
3: I was honored to be a part of it.
1: Thank you. What's your burning question about the world?
0: Send it to us and maybe we'll answer it in a future episode. Or you can email us a mystery sound,
1: a drawing, or maybe you just want to say hi. Whatever it is, we love hearing from you.
0: Our email is brainson at m as in Minnesota, org.
1: And you can send us good old-fashioned mail too with a stamp and everything. Our postal address is on our website. BrainsOn.org.
0: While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. It's full of fun stuff. Plus,
1: we'll tell you about new episodes and any live events we do. So don't miss out. Now, a warm welcome to the latest group of Brains on Rolees. These are the fans that keep us going with their excellent questions, drawings, emails, and high fives. Here they are. Cooper from Youngsville, Louisiana, Frida from Charlotte, North Carolina, Carter from Yosemite National Park, Cohen from Oxford, Pennsylvania, Nolan and Leo from San Jose, California, Morgan from Portland, Oregon, Theron from Tulsa, Oklahoma, Maya and Isaac from Greenville, South Carolina, Caitlin from Honolulu, Anna from Red Deer, Alberta, Aaron and Ezra from Mountain View, California, Connor from St. Louis, Brady from Gardendale, Texas, Lilia from New Braunfels, Texas, Madeline from Minneapolis, Matthew, and Stuart from Calgary, Quinn from St. Petersburg, Florida, Elise and David from West Hartford, Connecticut, Nicholas from Addison, Illinois, Audrey from Cortland, Nebraska, Kadija from Newport Beach, California, Josie from Los Angeles, Clara from Knoxville, Tennessee, Amelia from Fredericksburg, Virginia, Jovian from Prairie Village, Kansas, Kai from Alameda, California, Quinn from North Bergen, New Jersey, Sage from Alexandria, Virginia, Emily and Colby from Atlanta, Mateo and Sebastian from Denver, Warren from El Sobrante, California, and Lachlan from Sydney, Australia.
0: Okay, back to the weather. What's next, Molly? Oh, just you know, the mystery sound.
1: Mystery sound. Here it is. Any guesses?
0: A rainstorm?
1: Ooh, good guess. We hear it one more time. It was kind of a short one. Thunder? Excellent guess. Well, keep thinking. We're going to be back with the answer soon. But first, we're going to answer another weather-related question.
0: My name is Ava. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, and I'm seven years old. My question is, how do meteorologists predict what the weather will be? Here to help answer that is our pal, Sandin Totten.
4: Hey, guys. A lot of science is really about predicting the future. You look at stuff that happened in the past, then you make informed guesses about what will happen next based on that. So predicting the weather is kind of the same. Explorers would predict the weather based on their past observations and experiences.
1: Right, but as we're learning, there are a lot of things that can affect the weather, from the wind and sun to the shape of the Earth in a certain area. That's a lot to factor in.
4: Right, our planet is really complex. But thankfully... We don't have to do it all by ourselves. These days, a lot of weather prediction is done with the help of supercomputers.
0: Supercomputers? You mean like really big, fast and powerful computers?
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they don't have capes or superpowers to fly or anything like that. But they are sort of like superheroes because they can make massive calculations based on equations and observations. And these calculations can help predict the weather down where we live. This is the kind of math that would take humans years to do on their own, and that's how supercomputers help us predict the weather. Let me explain. Say you've got a big bad storm over the ocean and you want to know where it's headed.
3: Brr, I'm a storm. Puff. Puff. Bluster and blow. I'm going to bring the rain and snow. But where I spike, you'll never know. <laughs>
4: We're able to track the storm as it moves in real time, thanks to all kinds of weather tools like satellites, radars, and weather balloons.
2: This is radar. We have winds blowing from the south to northeast at the moment. Roger that, radar. This is your eye in the sky, the satellite. I can see clouds over the southwestern part of the ocean. Looks like a big, bad storm. Copy that, satellite. Over and
4: out. Forecasters also use data gathered by weather stations around the world. They get readings on temperatures, air pressure, the amount of water vapor in the air, the wind at different levels of the atmosphere, all kinds of stuff.
0: Wow, that's a lot to take in.
4: Exactly. So that's where our friend Supercomputer comes in.
2: Have no fears. Supercomputer is here. What's the situation, radar? Well, there's a nasty storm right out over the ocean. We want to know what will happen when it hits land. Can you help us out? Of course. It's what supercomputers do. Give me all your data and I'll work my magic.
4: All this information we have about the current weather around the world, as well as information we have about how weather behaved in the past, is combined into a program called a mathematical model. It uses equations that describe how the air moves around and warms and cools. And this model doesn't just look at the weather around the storm. It looks at weather everywhere to see if that might impact the storm down the line. Let's see, we've got
2: sun in South America, rain in Indonesia, high pressure in the Sahara Desert. Let's see how
4: this might play out. Using these models, supercomputers give a best guess about what will happen over the next week or so. But of course, this method isn't perfect because modeling the weather is not easy, even for a supercomputer there are always little uncertainties about the weather that can end up making big changes.
2: (laughs) Ha ha! Captain Uncertainty here. I see my nemesis supercomputer is trying to track a storm. (laughs) Well, I'll just start a little wind over in Mexico. (sighs) Maybe that will turn into a big gust that messes up the models!
4: (laughs) Of course, scientists know there are little uncertainties in the world, so they usually don't make just one prediction about the weather. They have their computers make many predictions. An ensemble of predictions or a family of predictions. They take the average of all of them to see what future weather is most likely to occur. They can also adjust what the supercomputer tells them based on their own weather experiences and how the supercomputer usually predicts the weather. So maybe they notice that the supercomputer usually predicts things as too dry or too wet. They can take that into account and adjust for it.
2: math I've got it. Based on my calculations, that storm is most likely headed to California. It'll be there in five days. Thanks, supercomputer. You saved the day. Boo to you, supercomputer now that coming.
3: There goes all the fun. They'll have their umbrellas ready and stay dry until I'm
4: Of course, as powerful as these models are, they aren't perfect, but scientists are always improving them so weather forecasts get better and better over time.
0: Cool! Thanks, Sandon. <laughs> One thing
1: I can predict with 100% certainty is that we're going back to the mystery sound. Here it is one last time. Any final guesses?
0: Um, is it a rainstorm? Yeah, I already guessed that, I think. It's
1: but. a good guess. Well, here with the answer is Evelyn Taft. She's a meteorologist with CBS2 News in Los Angeles.
5: The sound you just heard was a breaking news whoosh, or what we call a sting. So we'll run the whoosh before we put up an animation that says breaking news. And when something's breaking, it means it's happening right now. And we tell you the latest details of what's happening. Here in California, we have breaking weather news. That happens a lot when we have wildfires. Big storms, flooding, mudslides, debris flows, all possible things that could happen in a big storm.
1: So it was weather-related, kind of. So you were close. (laughs) But it's not a naturally occurring sound. So if you see Evelyn Taft on TV doing her forecast, she'll have maps and graphics behind her. But all of that is added by computers as the image is broadcast. When she's actually taping, there's nothing but a blank wall behind her called a green screen.
5: There's literally nothing. So if you see me doing the weather... It looks like I'm pointing to all these places, but I'm really pointing to nothing at all but a green screen. So it looks really funny. But if you take a step closer, you'll see that I'm actually looking at the weather graphics that I put together on a monitor in front of me to my right and to my left. The graphics I produce beforehand. So I come in and I put together my forecast and I crunch all the numbers and I put everything in a show. Once I'm presenting it, I click through it like a slideshow. I have a slide for right-now temperatures. I have a slide for forecast highs. I have a slide for your seven-day extended forecast. I have slides for pretty much everything. I have satellites, I have radars, and I decide what goes in the slideshow and what doesn't go in the slideshow.
0: Even though our weather is constantly changing, we have a pretty good idea of what the weather will be like later today. And even five days from now.
1: That's thanks to models that take data collected from all over the world.
0: Supercomputers crunch the numbers and they give us their very best predictions. Telling us when to get
1: ready for storms or to stock up on sunscreen.
0: That's it for our episode of Brains On. If you like what you heard, tell the world
1: about us. We love when you tweet or post about us on Facebook or blogs.
0: And if you are on iTunes, please leave a review. It really helps other kids and parents find out about the show. Brains On is produced by Mark Sanchez, Sandin Totten, and Molly Bloom. Special thanks to Mark Jackson with the
1: National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, Michael Morgan from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, Graham Hicks, Myra Ortiz, Rusty Nye, Ethan Service, Eric Ringham, Andy Doucette, Delia Bloom, and Tracy Mumford.
0: You can find past episodes at our website, brainson.org. You can also keep up with us on Instagram and Twitter.
1: We're at brains underscore on. And we're on Facebook, too. We'll be back with more answers to your questions really soon.
0: Thanks for listening.